0: All right, we're back in another sound of the battle cry. And the name of the message today is Unclean Hearts Defiled from Within a Course in Dirt and Filth. So this message is going to be a little bit different. Um, This is a topic not really discussed much. Um, But, you know, I was inspired to talk about this because I was listening to a book the other day. And uh, it's actually from a non-Christian perspective. And, you know, there's all this... Uh, philosophical exposition about dirt and filth and these types of things, and uh, I was thinking about how this these topics are actually discussed at length all throughout the Bible, and I was like, well, why don't we do a message that actually flips all that on its head and looks at these topics through the lens of, of the Bible, and so that's what we're going to do, and there's, there's quite a bit in here that we're going to cover um, and it's also very important not just to discuss the, the subject in general, how it has to do with salve- salvation, these types of things, but also uh, another big reason that this is important to discuss is there are, uh, you'll see later in the teaching that there's two extremes when it comes to the subject. Um, some people that try to be outside of the the filth, completely pure, not touching anything, and then some who have no separation, and that's an important thing to discuss when it comes to the topic of separation from the world and evangelism and and the Christian life and these types of things. So, a lot of things are going to be covered in here, and uh, so I think you'll get a lot out of it. So, we'll just get into it. All right. So, God makes distinctions and separates clean from unclean. That's the first point, okay? And it's important that we talk about this because making distinctions— Is very important. If you go back, one of the teachings that will really help you with this, a couple actually, is one is the author of Confusion, and the other one is the role of tricksters. Because in in that teaching about tricksters, they're agents of chaos, and they are those that actually blur distinctions. And they blur lines and boundaries that separate things. But we see throughout the Bible that God makes distinctions between many things, and one of those is between clean and unclean. So we're going to look at that. Leviticus chapter 10, verse 10. And that you may put difference between holy and unholy, and between clean and unclean. Okay? And that was one of the major jobs of the priests in the Old Testament was to put difference between unclean and clean. And to do that in in sacrifices and all the other practices, ceremonial practices, but also teaching the people these things. And they, the people, had to observe um, these ceremonies as well, distinguishing between unclean and clean. And then here's another passage from uh, Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 24, which says, Son of man, say unto her, Thou art the land that is not cleansed nor reigned upon in the day of indignation. There is a conspiracy of her prophets in the midst thereof, like a roaring lion, ravening the prey. They have devoured souls. They have taken the treasure and precious things. They have made her many widows in the midst thereof. Her priests have violated my law and have profaned my holy things. They have put no difference between the holy and profane. Neither have they showed difference between the unclean and the clean. Okay, so that's a rebuke from God against who? Against the priests. Okay, and then earlier it says there is a conspiracy of her prophets in the midst thereof. And what are they not doing? Putting a difference between holy and profane and clean and unclean. Now, in the immediate sense right there, the immediate application and interpretation of that passage, you know, it's talking about in the Old Testament, right? And there were ceremonial laws. But also, we can't apply that to today. Because part of discernment, uh, which is needed today more than ever, is to be able to Know the difference between clean and unclean, holy and unholy, holy and profane, as it says here. To be able to tell the difference. And preachers are supposed to be able to do that more than anyone. Problem is, the majority of them today are not doing that. They are going along with the blurring of distinctions. And if you try to make a distinction between clean and unclean, You hear the response, judge not, can't judge. Because judging is making a distinction. And so we can see how that has happened today. Everywhere. And then one more, verse Ezekiel 44, 23, which says, And they shall teach my people the difference between holy and profane, and cause them to discern between the unclean and clean. See how there's a connection right there of discernment? To discern between clean and unclean. Okay, so it's connected to uh, discernment and, you know, earlier it says they haven't showed the difference between clean and unclean and this says to discern between clean and unclean. So, if you discern something, you see that there is a difference between two different things. and Say, this is not like the other. They should be separated. It's that simple. Okay. Now, so we're going to get into the next section here but so that's important to set the whole thing up is just to know God says this over and over again that it's important to make distinctions between but here we're focusing on clean and unclean but there's d- other categories, right? We, we saw unholy and holy. There's other uh, different categories where God is always making a distinction between things that are... One great example is good and evil. And there's always a a separation and a boundary and a distinction. And so that's important for you to get that down solid before we get into all the rest of the, the material, okay? So first point is, God made many rules about filth and keeping it separate from the people, okay? Going back to the Old Testament, this is discussed at length throughout the Old Testament. There were laws in the Old Testament about sanitation in regards to contact with dead bodies, diseases like leprosy, childbirth, bodily functions, and disposing of waste. All types of laws in regards to these things. Much of this you can read in the book of Leviticus. Okay, So you go to the book of Leviticus, and you'll see law after law in regards to these things. Now, some of it was ceremonial, but some of it was honestly keeping them from getting sick. You know, you don't want to touch a dead body and then, eat, you know, put your hands in some food and put it in your mouth. Okay, so it did help them in that regards as well. Same thing with the bodily fu- the waste, disposing of waste, these types of things. It's good sanitary practices. These laws were for physical cleanliness and ceremonial cleanliness under the Old Covenant, okay? Primarily, that's what it was for. But... You, you need to understand that these everything in the Old Testament is always, as the Bible says in the New Testament, written for our admonition in the New Testament times. It's written for our admonition, which means we can take lessons from all of it, even the Levitical laws. Now, the ceremonial laws don't apply to us today. They absolutely do not. Every, all that was abolished at the cross. But... They, do, they are shadows of pointing towards Christ and what would come in the New Testament. And how, you, you might ask, well, how does any of that apply to the New Testament? Well, I'll tell you how. It's exactly what I said at the beginning. It's making this distinction between clean and unclean. And that is talked about, actually, in the New Testament. Especially when it's applied spiritually. Okay? That's where you want to focus on, okay? Because a lot of things in the Old Testament, they were earthly shadows pointing towards the heavenly substance, the spiritual substance. And so in the New Testament, many of these things are, uh, the ceremonies are done away with, the ceremonies and the feasts, because it everything it was pointing to was fulfilled, and now we see the true spiritual meaning, and it's expounded at length all through the New Testament. Okay, so having said that, what about the spiritual, what about spiritual cleanliness? Is there even such a thing? Yes, absolutely. There's so much about this in the Bible, it's amazing. Spiritual cleanliness. Okay, now we'll start with this, breaking this down. Starting with when you're lost. We are unclean, filthy, dirty when lost, okay? When you are a lost person, you have never been born again, never been saved by Jesus Christ. When you're you're lost, you are, the Bible says, unclean, filthy, dirty. You might say, oh man, that sounds sounds harsh. That seems a bit much. Well, it's not, actually. In fact, most of the time in this world, people downplay the severity and depravity of their sin. And so, we're going to show the terms and the words that are used to describe our sinful state when we're lost as it states in the Bible. Okay, so let's look. Uh, Isaiah chapter 64 verse 6, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, And we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Okay, so let's break this down. First of all, we are all as an unclean thing. Everyone in the world that has ever existed is an unclean thing seen as unclean by God. And the second thing is, all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. What does that mean? Well, even on our best day, when we try to do good things, It's still as filthy rags in the sight of God because it's never, we never do something from a pure, pure, holy motivation, okay? When you're lost, the Bible says that your heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So even if you do something that seems good on the outside. Everybody sees, oh, wow, look at this good thing that they did. There's still other motivations. There's pride. There's jealousy. There's, there's you know, all these other types of things. And in addition to that, even if you did these things, pure, you know, good things, good works out of a pure motivation, it still is not good enough to cover up the filthiness of your sin. It's still not good enough. And, and just very quickly, you know, I used this illustration before, uh, but it, it just real quickly, I'd like to use it right now. If, imagine you were standing before a judge. You were, you were guilty of doing horrible things like murdering someone, right? And, you know, the judge says, you have everything to say. And you say, well, you know, I know I killed someone, but I also gave millions of dollars to charity and helped old ladies across the street and, you know, helped uh, poor children and all this stuff. And the judge would say, great. I'm glad you did all those things, but, you know, justice still has to be served. You're going to have to go to prison for killing someone because you murdered someone. So all these good works that you do doesn't cover up your sin. And and that's not how it works on earth, and, and that's not how it works with God. But people are, you know, have this delusion that they think that their good works is going to cover up their sin. But the Bible says, no, your righteousness are as filthy rags. Filthy. Okay, so we're an unclean thing. Righteousness are as filthy rags. Let's move on to the next passage. Job 15, verse 14. What is man that he should be clean? And he that is born of a woman, that he should be righteous. Behold, he putteth no trust in his saints. Yea, the heavens are not clean in his sight. How much more abominable and filthy is man, which drinketh iniquity like water? Okay? So there's no man that's clean. We know that what it says how much more abominable and filthy is man that drinketh iniquity like water that drinks sin like water, like it's no big deal, you know because when you're younger, you have you know everyone's born with a conscience, and when you sin, that conscience will convict you, will sting you, ooh, you stole something, ooh, you lied to your parents, whatever it is. But after you keep you ignore that conscience, you keep sinning more and more, it it doesn't sting you as much. And then, you know, you do more and more. Everybody makes different choices. Some go faster than others, but eventually you get older and the conscience doesn't feel like it's stinging as much anymore. And pretty soon, you're drinking iniquity like water. It's like nothing to you. You just sin, sin, sin. It's no, You have no problem, no restraint. And the Bible says when, you, when you're like that, you're filthy. Abominable and filthy in the sight of God. Here's another one Psalm 14 verse 2 The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men To see if there were any that did understand and seek God They are all gone aside They are all together become filthy There is none that doeth good No not one No not one Anyone ever says that they're a good person They're wrong Not because of my opinion Not because I think I'm better than you I'm not It's because that's what God says God is the one that says there is none good, none that doeth good, not one person. Instead, not only that, it says they're all together become filthy, seen as filthy by God. Uh, Here's another one, Proverbs 20, verse 9, Who can say I have made my heart clean, I am pure from my sin? And the answer is no one. No one can say, I've made my heart clean. It's unclean. No one can say, I am pure from my sin. You're not. The Bible says, you're filthy. And so, this is very important to understand that lots of people would just, you know, admit, you know, if you say, Do you think you're a sinner? Yeah, I'm a sinner. Everybody's a sinner. We're all sinners. And it just kind of stops there. But. The extent of it, the depravity of it, the description of it is, you know, falls woefully short. And that's why important it's important this today to focus on this particular aspect of sin, our sin, to see that it's described as filthy over and over again. And so let's move on to the next point. We are defiled from within. Okay, because we're seen as filthy, right? Uh, man is filthy. They are altogether become filthy. All these things. But how do we get that way? Well, we're defiled from within. What does defile mean? Let's look at this word, the definition of this word from the dictionary. We have a few different things. One, defile means to make unclean, to render foul or dirty, to make impure, to soil or sully, to tarnish to pollute, okay? These all file, you can file them under defile, file them under defile. Sorry about that, but (laughs) you can put it under the category of defile, okay? To be made unclean, impure, polluted, filthy, and dirty. Now, why is that important? Well, because there's some verses about this, about uh, being defiled, Uh, and I said what? We're defiled from within, so let's go to Mark chapter 7, verse 14, and see what Jesus had to say about that. And when he had called all the people unto him, he said unto them, Hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand, there is nothing from without a man that entering into him can defile him. But the things that come out of him, those are they that defile the man. Okay, so in this particular instance, Jesus is talking about the traditions and the customs of the Pharisees, and they had this, you know, these ritual washings of cups and and plates and tables and all these things, and they couldn't do anything unless they did this washing every single time. And, And if they didn't, they say that they were defiled, right, as if it would made them sinful. And so Jesus was directly speaking against that, and said, no, you're not sinful because because you didn't wash something outside in your utensils, in your eating area. You are defiled from within. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was entered into the house from the people, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. And he saith unto them, Are you so without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatsoever thing from without entereth into the man, it cannot defile him? because it entereth not into his heart, okay? Anything you ingest, even if it's from a dirty cup, uh, a plate, whatever and is, it hasn't been ritually washed, that's not going to enter into your heart and defile you, make you a wicked person, a sinful person. It says it just goes into your belly, goes out into the drought, purging all meats. It goes out of you. And he said, that which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, Precedes what? Evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. Okay, so earlier we we, we uh, just backtrack a little bit. Remember that word defile. To make impure, unclean, to soil, these types of things. Well, that word defile is used right here. And it says, what comes out of the heart of men from within defiles the man. Defiles you. Okay? So what comes out of your heart makes you unclean, filthy, impure. That's where the sin comes out of, your own heart. It is an f- impure fountain of wickedness. And that's how you are filthy. And Jesus clearly said that. Okay, so you're defiled from within, from your heart. There's a little bit more on that. And we'll move on to the next subject after a couple more of these points. A bitter person, a bitter person defiles others with their bitterness. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. Lest, it any, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Okay, so think about this. You have, may have read this verse before, you know, root of bitterness springing up. But think about this. It says, and thereby many be defiled. So if you have a root of bitterness and you, you become a bitter person, you will defile everyone around you. And defiling means you're making, you're having a, an impact of uncleanness, impurity. and filthiness many are defiled around you it's like they feel dirty being around you cuz it's just constant bitterness negativity here's another one many times fornication is referred to as defiling genesis chapter 34 verse 2 and when shechem the son of hamor the high-vite prince of the country saw her and took her and lay with her he def- and defiled her We're talking about dinah right Defiled her. That's fornication. It's called defiling someone. Okay, to make what? Unclean, impure, filthy. Here's the next one. The worship of idols is said to be defiling. Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 7. Then said I unto them, Cast ye away every man the abominations of his eyes, and defile not yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Okay, so now it says that they are defiled, they can be defiled by idols, idolatry, the worship of idols said to be defiling, making them unclean, impure, spiritually speaking. Okay, so that's defiling as well, and to uh, wrap that up, tie this together, idolatry and apostasy are often referred to as spiritual fornication or whoredom. This connection between idolatry, apostasy, fornication, and filthiness appears most prominently in the description of the mother of harlots. Let's read about it right here. Revelation 17, verse 3. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. Okay, so the mother of harlots, the woman riding the beast, it says that she has a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. Okay? So, like I said, this is tying all this stuff together. Filthiness of the fornication, but also this is this is spiritually speaking. Over and over again, you see that spiritual hordom uh, and fornication is connected with idolatry, apostasy, and in the mother of harlots, she's the queen of all that. And you go back and watch my shows for Kingdom of Daniel, and then especially little, the little horn power revealed, you will see this can be none other than the Roman Catholic Church. Okay? The beast is a governmental power of the state, but the woman is a apostate, spiritual, fake church, riding the governmental power. There's a merging of church and state, and the mother of all. There's no one else that fits the description of Revelation 17 more than the Catholic Church. No one fits it. In her was found the blood of the saints. Killed more saints than anyone in history. But having said that, to unite with her, the mother of harlots, in the ecumenical movement, is to be defiled by the filthiness of her fornication. Is to be defiled. To be spiritually unclean. You should not unite with the mother of harlots. Do not unite with Rome. Rome for any purpose nowhere in the Bible does it say oh let's unite with uh, some you know the mother of harlots so that we can uh, you know accomplish acts of social justice garbage that is not biblical whatsoever never says to do that in the Bible in fact it says do not it says come out from among them and be ye separate it says be not unequally yoked together with them how could you walk together except they be agreed? It's ridiculous. You know, if any man preach any other gospel, let him be accursed. doesn't say, oh, well, you know, they're against abortion, so I should unite with them and fight for these causes. Garbage. Absolutely false. You are unclean and filthy spiritually if you're yoking up with them to do that stuff. That's what the Bible says. She's got the golden cup full of the filthiness of her fornication and that's what you're doing. You're partaking of that. You're drinking of that cup when you try to unite with her for these social justice causes. And I'm talking about conservatives, by the way. Let's continue. So that's when you're lost, right? When people are lost, they're dirty, filthy, unclean. The Bible's clear. It says it over and over again. And that's how you must see it. And if you are lost, you must see yourself as filthy, unclean, and in need of being washed. You're not. It's not just, we're not just saying this so you can be left there in your filth. To condemn you and leave you? No way. But it's to speak the truth and so you accept the truth. Humble yourself and accept it and say... You know, Call it as it is. See yourself as God sees you, as filthy. And then when you can see that, now you can see the need to be washed, to be made clean. You need to be made clean. Spiritually speaking. Okay? So that's the next part. We are clean, washed, and made white when saved. And I don't mean the color of your skin's made white. Which the Mormons <laughs> used to teach, by the way. But that's what we're saying here. We're talking about Robes of white. Okay, spiritually speaking, clean, washed, and made white when you get saved. And that's what you need. You need to see when you're lost, I'm filthy, I'm unclean, I need to be washed from my the filthiness of my sin. Let's look at it. Psalm 51, verse 2. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. This is very clear, isn't it? For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Verse 7. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Okay? So we can see that when you are defiled by sin, you are unclean and filthy, that this in this prayer here which is one of the greatest prayers of repentance in the bible psalm fifty one the prayer is to wash me from my iniquity cleanse me from my sin create a clean heart because I have an unclean heart wash me and I shall be like i said whiter than snow because your garments are stained with sin here's another one isaiah 1, verse 16, wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes, cease to do evil. Verse 18, come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Okay, so... Again, it says you need to be washed. You need to be made clean. And it says your sins are as scarlet. There's red stains. Your garments are not white. There are filthy rags. But they can be washed and be made white as snow. And they need to be. And how is that done? Well, we see right here, Revelation 1, 5. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Now, it might sound weird to you. Well, how do you make a garment white with blood? I can't explain it to you, but that's how it works spiritually. The blood of Jesus Christ washes you from your own sin he washes us from our sins in his own blood and that makes you clean in fact it is the only way to be made clean from your sin there is no other way to wash away the filth of your sin except the blood of Jesus Christ Revelation 7, verse 13, And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said unto me, These are they which came out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Okay, so we see there's a washing with the blood of the Lamb again. But it says that their robes are washed with the blood of the Lamb. White robes. Okay? So if you have you're wearing filthy garments, the only way to get that white robe that you need is through being washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only way. In this robe, you see elsewhere it talks about it says that these robes are the righteousness of the saints. Now that righteousness we see clearly explained and broken down in Romans chapter four, that it is the imputed righteousness of Christ which means that you are not righteous, you're unclean and filthy and dirty, right? Guilty before God. But when you repent and put your faith in Jesus Christ, he imputes his righteousness to you and now you wear that as that white robe. And so no longer is there seen filthy rags but the white robe of Christ righteousness imputed to you. Washed in the blood of the lamb. Here's another one. Titus chapter 3 Verse 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Okay, so it talks about the washing of regeneration here. Now, what is regeneration? Regeneration is another word to describe the act of being born again, what happens when you are born again, when you're made into a new person. Okay. And that's where you're given a new heart. So remember we talked about, you know, created me a clean heart and the heart is what defiles you. It's desperately wicked. It's dirty. Okay. Your heart is defiling you. And so you need a new heart. Well, the only way you can have that is through regeneration. And so it says, in this process of regeneration, giving you a new heart, making you into a new person, it calls it the washing of regeneration. Everything's washed. All that defiling filth is gone when you're made into a new person. It's all the old stuff is, is gone away. It's dead. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. Okay? Okay. All the old things are gone. All the filth, the dirtiness, it's washed away. Everything is made new. That's part of the washing of regeneration. And it says, one more thing, it says in verse 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. Okay, so you don't, uh, you can't be regenerated by trying to do good works to cover up your sin. It's not by works of righteousness. We talked about that doesn't matter how much you try to be a good person and do good things to cover up your sin. It's never going to happen. You need to be born again. You need to be regenerated. And that only happens through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. Then you're regenerated. Then you are washed clean. And an example we have that ties together with this is the prodigal son. Now, it's important to read this parable because everybody loves to focus on forgiveness, right? Forgiveness of sin. The prodigal son came to his father and he was forgiven. But there's a detail in here I want us to laser in on in regards to this topic of filthiness. Prodigal son rose up and left the filthy pig pen after he repented. So let's look at it. Um... Luke chapter 15, verse 11. And he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. Wasted his money. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into, the, into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. Now, doesn't that sound filthy? He's eating the same slop that the swine are eating, the pigs. Eating the husks. It's filthy. And no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself... When he came to his senses, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. Now listen, And he arose and came to his father. Now, that's really important. As we know he went he went back to his father, his father celebrated his son returning home, he said he was dead and now he's alive, he was lost now he's found. praise God, that's amazing, but go back and see that he was in the filth, in the pig pen, eating the husks, and he didn't just say, "You know, oh, my father will forgive me," and then he stayed in the pig pen. In the filth. No. When he repented, he had a change of mind, which resulted in a change of action. He arose and got up out of the pig pen of filth. Turned his back on it. He forsook it. Okay, so you can't say, well, I've repented. But you're still in the pig pen. Rolling around in the filth. And you don't want to get up and leave it and forsake it and turn your back on it. There is a rising up and leaving the pig pen of filth. God raises people up out of the dirt and dunghill. Here's a verse on that. Psalm 113, 7. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust, and he lifteth the needy out of the dunghill. Okay? Out of the dust, out of the dirt, God raises them up. Pulls them out of it. God is able to do that in more than one way. Because, you know, he could do that and and uh, give them a better quality of life at that time. But also, he can do this to the poor in spirit. Those that are lost. Raise them up out of the dirt. Out of the dunghill of filth. And wash them clean. Now we're going to talk about... Uh, We're going to talk about false converts here for a second. And this is really crucial to understand. I'm going to show you some scriptures and see how clear the Bible is about this subject. You know, I have a few other teachings on this. Um, I have one called False Profession versus Once Saved, Always Saved. Uh, Counterfeits Claiming Promises. Talk a little bit about that in here. But I'm going to deal with another scripture in here and you're going to see really clearly from examining a number of different scriptures what the meaning of this passage is. And so the point is here is false converts will eventually return to their filth. They may temporarily make a profession of faith look like they've, you know, turned around their life. There seems like they're living good. But then one day they all turn away from that. They turn away from that and it's as if they had never done what they did before. And a lot of people are confused by that. And they say, oh, they lo- they lost their salvation or something like that. But that's assuming they're saying, well, I know that they were saved. No, <sighs> well, you don't actually. Just because they put on a show for a little bit doesn't mean anything. And in fact, the Bible says that people can do that over and over again. And it says it so clearly here, it's amazing that you could say anything else. So, let's look at it. 2 Peter 2.20 For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them but it is happened unto them according to the true proverb the dog is turned to his own vomit again and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire now before we go and examine the dog and the hog right there let's back up a little bit because people say this passage teaches people can lose their salvation and they're wrong they're dead wrong And I'm proving you from the scriptures beyond any shadow of a doubt that they're wrong. Okay? It is absolutely possible for someone to do an external cleaning up and appearing holy. Absolutely. The Bible talks about that over and over again. People can make a profession of faith and say they're Christians. And then they're not actually. How many times are we warned about this in the Bible? How about, how many people does it say, Jesus said, Many shall come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, have we not done many wonderful works in my name? And he will say unto them, What? I never knew you. Right? We have that warning. Not I knew you once and now I don't. But I never knew you. But it says... It talks about, it was better for them to have not known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the Holy Commandment. Okay? So that means it's someone that knows the Word of God. Maybe they were sitting in church. They've heard preaching. They've read the Bible. They've heard it. Whatever it is, they've been around Christians. There's plenty of people that do that that are not saved. And do they have more responsibility? Yes, they do. Because they have more light than someone who's ignorant, who has never been exposed to those things, or not as much, right? But imagine, they go to church week after week after week, and they hear all this truth, and then they turn from it. That's worse. It is worse. Okay, now let's move on to the dog and the hogs. It says here, it's it happened unto them. So it says, all the people we were just talking about, in verse 20, in verse 21, The proverb of the dog turning to his vomit is about them. Okay, great. So where is that that proverb? It's in the Bible, Proverbs 26.11, which says, As a dog returneth to his vomit, so a fool returneth to his folly. Now you go read the book of Proverbs. You go read it over and over again. And you see how many times that word fool occurs. And every time it's talking about someone that's lost. Okay, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. That's one example. But there's many other examples of it. A fool being a wicked person, a lost person. But a dog returns to his vomit. And so that's what it was quoting there. And it says also the sow, a pig, the swine that was washed, goes back to her wallowing in the mire, rolling around in the mud. So she was washed on the outside, but loves that mud. Dogs and hogs love to eat and roll around in filth. Let's uh, read about that more in the Bible. 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 34. What happened to Jezebel? Well, Jehu was coming on his chariot. He asked the eunuchs to throw Jezebel out the window. They threw out the window. And then ran over with the chariot. And then what happened after? Dogs ate her. And when he was come in, he did eat and drink and said, Go see now this cursed woman and bury her, for she is a king's daughter. And they went to bury her, but they found no more of her than the skull and the feet and the palms of her hands. Wherefore, they came again and told him, and he said, This is the word of the Lord, which he spake by his servant, Elijah the Tishbite, saying, In the portion of Jezreel shall dogs eat the flesh of Jezebel. And that's what they did. They ate. Her dead body her body until there was nothing left except the skull the feet and the palms of her hands. And there was another part of the prophecy that says that the dog shall lick thy blood. They licked her blood, they ate her dead body. Okay, I know it's it's graphic, it's disgusting, but that's what the dogs did. Dogs in the Bible, they're they do a lot of gross stuff. It says they were they return to their vomit, these types of things. They eat the they eat dead bodies. And so That brings us to the next point. Saved people are never, you hear that? Never referred to as dogs or pigs in the Bible. The dog returns to their vomit because they only cleaned up the outside but never were changed into a sheep. Never. A dog can take a bath and go right back to the vomit. A sow, like it says, can be washed. But since the nature of the sow never changed, they go right back to rolling in the mud. Now, it might be a year or two, a few years, but one day they're going to go back and say, forget this, I'm out of here. And then goofballs out there say, oh, they lost their salvation. No, they didn't. No, they did not. They were a dog. They were a hog. And they went back to what was in their heart. They had Sodom in their heart like Lot's wife and they turned back. Their nature has never been changed. It's just an external washing. How can go look at all the examples of the Pharisees? They had an external holiness. They bragged about it. They said I fast, I give. They didn't openly indulge in sin. Man, they'd be they wouldn't dare to even do some of the things that professing Christians do today out in the open. They'd be they would be scared to do that because it would ruin their appearance of righteousness but it's still just an appearance Jesus told them they were children of the devil because they their internal their heart has never been changed so saved people are never referred to as dogs and hogs but in 2 Peter 2.20 it says it happened to them as the proverb of the dog returning to his vomit because they were never changed. They went back to their filth. Here's another one. Matthew 7, 6. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs. Neither cast ye your pearls before swine. Lest they trample them under feet and turn again and rend you. Jesus is talking about saved people there? With the dogs and the hogs? No. Lost people. What does it say in Revelation twenty two fifteen? For without our dogs outside of New Jerusalem. They don't go in to heaven. Dogs, sorcerers, whoremongers, murderers, idolaters, whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. Saved people are never called dogs and hogs. And we go all the way back here to 2 Peter 2.20. It said, though that person who did that, who turned from the commandment, came back, they are the dog and the hog who just did an external washing for a little bit, and then they turned back to the filth. Clear as day. All right, so that's that. Let's move on to the next point. Yeah, extremes approaching the lost world. Okay, so before we move on to that, I'm going to move on to that in a second, but we see these two clear things about salvation. Number one, When you're lost, you're filthy, dirty, unclean, and you need to be washed. When you're saved, you are made clean, washed, made white as snow. Your garments, you're given the white robe. And this can only be done through the blood of Jesus Christ. When you repent of a life of sin and rebellion against God and put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're given a new heart, a clean heart, Given that white robe, you're washed clean from the filthiness of your sin. You know, some people out there, they've experienced things where, maybe uh, had this experience where they felt dirty and they try to take a shower and no matter how much they do, they never feel clean. Sometimes that happens to kids that are abused. feel like they need to shower and get clean. They just feel dirty. Well, The only way to get rid of that feeling is salvation in Jesus Christ. The only way to get rid of that feeling and and not to feel dirty anymore, feel that feeling, it's a spiritual dirtiness. And when you feel that spiritual cleanliness, that cleansing from the blood of Christ, that's when you feel peace And love that you've never felt before In your entire life For the first time you feel that And you feel that burden lifted And you're refreshed and new You're given a clean slate All that old stuff That filth is washed away Given a brand new fresh start There's no other feeling That could ever compare to that And so that's how salvation works When it comes to the filth Now Focusing on The approach of Christians professing Christians. There's two extremes here we're going to deal with. And then we'll end the teaching after that. There are two extremes in approaching the lost world. One is extreme cleanliness, hiding away as a monk, holier than thou, self-righteous attitude. And for a whole message I have about that, it's called The Wrong Way to Separate. Um, you can go back and watch that on my channel. There's a message called The Wrong Way to Separate about separating from the world the wrong way. And uh, I go through this exact thing that I'm talking about here. Um, self-righteous Pharisees who go way too far in that direction. And, you know, uh, of course there's different levels of this extreme. I mentioned a monk, right? These, this asceticism where they're away off in a monastery somewhere in a mountain and they just hide away from the world. That's definitely bad. That's wrong. And you're never going to help anyone hiding from the world. But also some people could fall into this category who do, who don't live, you know, in a monastery far away. They live in, in society with everyone else, but they still think that they're better than everyone else and they don't want to engage with anyone. They don't want to talk to anyone. They don't want to be around people that they think are, they're better than them um, sinners I mean, I was around someone one time They were a professing Christian And, you know We were to, just a group of Christians A church actually And we said we wanted to go to uh, an event It was just like a, a gun show or something And They're like, oh, I I don't know if I want to go a, There's going to be filled with sinners there And they weren't even joking a bunch of lost people there. Well, yeah, there's lost people everywhere. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5, you'd have to leave the world to be away from them. You can't go escape away from lost people and never be around them. And and also, that's not even right. We have to engage with them. We have to talk to them. And guess what? You're not better than them. Now we have to be careful and there has to be some separation for sure, which we'll talk about later. But to pretend like you're, it's okay for you to just avoid them and never be around them. It's crazy. It's wrong. It's self righteous, proud, and so that that's one extreme. Uh, And we'll read a few passages about that. Then this is the, the, you know, the Pharisees had this attitude. We saw described over and over again, Luke chapter nineteen, verse five. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him, and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. For today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be guest with the man that is a sinner. See, so there's that extreme. Oh, he he went to go to the sinner's house. Even though, you know, Jesus talked to him and said that he was a tax collector. He was a publican, right? And, and Zacchaeus said, it, you know, that he repented and he gave, he restored fourfold the people that he took from and these types of things but they didn't care it was like ah uh, nope can't be at his house so they couldn't be found anywhere near a sinner here's another one uh Jesus told this story Luke chapter 18 verse 9 and he spake this parable Unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. That is self righteousness. Okay. If you're saved and you're born again, right, you are seen by, as righteous by God. You're forgiven. You're on your way to heaven. You have the gift of eternal life. Great. But that doesn't mean that you are better than someone else, and it certainly doesn't give you a right to despise other people, to look down on them, and to have a give them a bad attitude. That's self righteousness. That's what the Pharisees did. Trusted in themselves. They despised others. Looked down on other people. It was a hard attitude. Two men went up to the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee, the other a Republican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican." So what is he doing? Comparing himself to other people. Well, at least I'm not like that guy over there. Self-righteous. This is the fake separation, the fake purity, the fake cleanliness, the sterility of the Pharisee. Oh, I'm better than everyone else. Uh, Thank God I'm not like those guys. Well, yeah, you deserve hell just like everyone else. Everyone does. Uh, I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Now he's bragging about his good works, right? And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast saying, God be merciful to me a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Now it doesn't say everyone that exalts himself shall be based. No, you're not based when you're proud. Guys like to, to run around saying that today. I'm based. I'm the alpha Chad. Blah, blah, blah. Well, you're not. Pride is not based. Exalting yourself is not based. Everyone that exalts himself shall be a base. That means to be brought low. and God will make you fall flat on your face. Pride goeth before destruction. Okay? Before a fall. A haughty spirit. The fear of the Lord is to hate. Pride. Arrogancy. Okay, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Humble yourself in the sight of God. And part of that humility is saying, "Hey, I am filthy. I do need to be washed. God, please wash me from my sin." But also not, you know, looking down on other people. Let's say you are saved, you are righteous and you you've been pulled out of the filth. You've been washed clean. That doesn't mean now you look down on everyone else. Oh, I'm clean. And now look at all these filthy sinners. I can't be around them. They will defile me. Wrong. Uh, Here is the next passage. Matthew 23, verse 25. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, Cleanse first that which was is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. There's that word again, unclean. Even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Okay? So again, this this extreme of the Pharisee who's like, oh, I'm better than everyone else. I'm separated from this. They only have the outward appearance of righteousness. Inside, it says they're filled with uncleanness, hypocrisy, dead men's bones. They're filthy because they've never been born again. That's why. They have never had the inside of the cup clean and being given a new heart. All they could do was wash the outside. And so that's why they had the fake separation where they think they're better than everyone else. Now, let's talk about purity. Because we don't want to talk negatively about purity. Purity is good. There is nothing wrong with purity. There is a negative association with the word puritan... Because of the bad attitude that some of them had. They took pride in their purity, which leads to self-righteousness and the death of charity. Okay? Yeah, the Puritans, a lot of people use that word today as a as a dig, right? As a negative word to attack someone. Oh, they're being a Puritan. They even, uh, you know, uh, apply it to the woke people, right? Canceling people. Cancel culture. Like, ah, oh, they're like the Puritans. Well... Some of them were like that. Some of them weren't. You know, a lot of the Puritans' writings are really good, really awesome biblical writings. They have a lot of insight into the Word of God. But some of them weren't like that, and they did have self-righteous attitude, and they did have these crazy extreme purity tests, especially when they had theocracies. The worst part, worst thing that they did was merging a church and state, which they actually did in early America. Before we even had the Declaration of Independence, they had Puritans that were, you know, merged the church with the state, and they would attack people who didn't follow their rules, their traditions. They would have people, um, they confiscate their property, have them exiled sometimes, these types of things. So that's bad. You know, we should be against that. But also understand... there's nothing wrong with purity and no one should just be attacked because they talk about purity and they seek after purity but that's how it's framed today Uh, especially by woke people by Marxists they absolutely attack purity and they attack anyone that is pursuing purity and they act like oh it's not even real like oh no one really wants that you know, But yeah, it is real. And it's something that should be pursued because God tells you to. Purity is a good thing. But you need to be washed with the blood of Jesus Christ to be made pure before you can pursue practical purity. Otherwise, there's no point. Because you're just trying to use filthy rags to cover up the filth. Alright, let's continue on. This should not make us have a bad view towards the pursuit pursuit of purity. Bible says in 1 Timothy 5.22 keep thyself pure. Okay, so again, we're talking about two extremes here. I was focusing right now on this extreme of people who are like, I don't want anything to do with lost people. I am above them all. I'm better than them all. I can't be defiled by the sinners. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't preserve pursue purity. It says, keep thyself pure. We are supposed to keep ourselves pure. The other extreme is rolling in the dirt with no separation and no washing the filth off. And I have another message about that. It's called Warnings Against Worldliness. Go back and watch that one. Okay, so two messages I have about worldliness and separation from the world. Go back and watch those. But this is the other extreme. There's a lot of professing Christians who don't care at all about separation and they just partake of every worldly filthy thing possible and it doesn't concern them whatsoever. Oh, we got you got to be like them to win them wrong. No, you don't become filthy to win the filthy. That's absolutely false. Proverbs 30 verse 12 says there is a generation that are pure in their own eyes and yet is not washed from their own filthiness, okay? So in order to be saved, you need to be washed from your own filthiness, from the filthiness of your sin with the blood of Jesus Christ. But there are people today who are not washed from their filthiness, they've never been born again, and yet they are pure in their own eyes. Many professing Christians are like this. They've never been washed from their own filthiness, but they think they're pure. Oh, I'm forgiven of my sins because I repeated, repeated a prayer one time I came forward to the stage at the rock concert when Skillet was playing and I said I accept Jesus and then from then on nothing ever changed in their life well, oh I'm pure even though they're not washed from their filthiness many professing Christians do not separate from the filth of this world no separation whatsoever they see no need they see no need at all all the filth of the world and there's a lot of filth No need, they don't see a need to separate from it at all and that's a big problem if you profess to be a Christian I'm going to show you how filthy the world is there isn't a strong testimony from them showing how God washed them and pulled them out of the mire of corruption Okay, that's what you're supposed to do that's the way it's supposed to work you don't go to the, you know the Bible says we talked about this here right we showed in the Bible it says that lost people are seen by God as filthy unclean all this stuff right in the filth of their sin sinners before God you don't go to them and say hey I'm filthy too so let's just be filthy together and oh by the way uh, Jesus loves you that's garbage. You need to say, hey, I was filthy, but Jesus Christ pulled me out of the filth, washed me clean, and made me into a new person. Now I have the gift of eternal life. I'm brand new, and I no longer want anything to do with the filth. And it's not because of my own power. It's because of what God did in my life. And that's the testimony. Not that you go to be in the pig pen with them and say, hey, let's roll around in here. And also, hey, Jesus loves you. That does nothing except keep them in the filth. See that? you got to show them, hey, man, listen to the filth that I was in. Here's my testimony. Tell them your story. And then say, hey, and then here's what Jesus did pulling me out of him. And now today I'm not even the same person. That old person, dead. Now I'm clean. That's the way it's supposed to work. How filthy is the world really? Because I don't think people kind of downplay that. Though, how filthy is this world? You really need to know. And this is why God wants you to come out from that filth to be washed and gotten away from it. Because it's bad. I'm going to show you. There are religions where contact with dirt and filth is part of their rituals. Actually, 100%. I'll give you a few examples. How about the Zuni clowns? In the case of the Zuni clown society, the Puebloans, one is initiated into the Newekwe order by a ritual of filth eating, where mud is smeared on the body for the clown performance, and parts of the performance may consist of sporting with mud, smearing and daubing it, or drinking and pouring it onto one another, and other things that are worse. Yeah, way worse. Other things I'm talking about, other substances disgusting filth, smearing it all over the body, eating it, drinking it, these types of things. And uh, another point I'd like to make real quick, I've said this before, but this is exactly what Clown of the band Slipknot does while performing on stage. He takes bodily fluids, disgusting substances, he rolls around in them, wipes them on his mask, throws them at other members of the band, and it just just so happens to be the same thing that these sacred clowns used to do. Zuni, for instance, Zuni clowns. If you go read the Clown Society Wikipedia file, you can read more on that. But uh, I talked a lot about this in the trickster teaching. The role of tricksters. So you go back and listen to that, then you'll uh, find out a lot more about that. But they did this ritual of filth eating. Exposing themselves to filth. Another example is Alistair Crowley, the infamous Satanist. He would ingest various disgusting substances from the body. Not going to get into detail about that, but really bad. But that was part of their rituals and magic, these types of things. Another example, uh, I can give this example because I come from the death metal world. I used to be a death metal singer. Uh, There's a band called Cryptopsy. There's The first singer that they had, that his, his name was, they called him Lord Worm. Lord Worm from the death metal band Cryptopsy would eat worms from a chalice and also feed them to the audience. And another time he talked about in an interview that he said he was smoking snake ribs in a graveyard with a sorcerer. We'll talk about that in a second, about being in the graveyard. But just, this is filth, right? Disgusting things that they're doing. But, you know, the same thing, the reason I talk about this is because this same person uh, would write blasphemous lyrics. I mean, pure evil stuff. Blaspheming Christ in his lyrics. Uh, Lord Wormwood. You know, this isn't just some one-off thing. If you were into death metal, uh, Cryptopsy's album that Lord Worm sang on is called uh, None So Vile. It's, it's one of the all-time classic death metal albums. One of the most well-respected albums. And this guy, this same guy, is uh, doing this stuff. And it's almost like a ritual. Like they play a song, an instrumental, and they go around eating worms and giving people worms. And then he's hang, hanging out in a, in a graveyard. Also, another interview was talking about, they were talking about him uh, being at a bus stop, eating bugs off the side of the bus. Just weird stuff. Another example would be uh, a Hindu sect called the Agori. Very interesting stuff here. So let's read a little bit about that. The Agori are a monastic order of ascetic Shaivite. Now, these that means they're worshippers of Shiva. Shiva's god of destruction, among other things, but most well-known as that. They are ascetic Shaivite sadhus based in Uttar Pradesh, India. Please excuse me if, if I mispronounce anything. They're the only surviving sect derived from the Kepelika tradition. A tantric, non-Puranic form of Shaivism, which originated in medieval India between the 7th and 8th century AD. Now listen to some of the practices this uh, the Agori did. They embrace filth. The purpose of embracing pollution and degradation through various customs is the realization of non-duality through transcending social taboos, is what they say, right? Attaining what is essentially an altered state of consciousness and perceiving the illusory nature of all conventional categories. That's what they believe, okay? So stop right there, because through exposing themselves and embrace to filth and embracing filth, what do they say they do? Perceiving the illusory nature of all conventional categories. There's a destroying of categories. It's a getting rid, again, of distinctions between clean and unclean. They say no we got to get rid of that. And how do we do that? By exposing ourselves to filth, embracing the filth. That's what it's always about, which ties again and again to the role of tricksters. They play right into that. Let's read a little bit more about what they do. Agori rituals, which are performed precisely to oppose notions of purity, are precisely performed to oppose notions of purity. They're against purity commonplace in Orthodox Hinduism, okay? So, in Orthodox Hinduism, they actually value purity, okay? Now, not according to the biblical standard of purity, but they don't embrace filth like the Aghori do. Nevertheless, they do these rituals, and they're typically macabre in nature. The practices of the agoris vary and include living in cemeteries, remember that, Smearing cremation ashes on their bodies, using human skulls for decoration in bowls, smoking marijuana, drinking alcohol, and meditating on top of corpses—you can read more about that in the Wiki file on Agori. Okay, all kinds of filth they embrace. They're around it. They're sitting in places where there's dead bodies. It's gross. It's morbid. It's disgusting. But they embrace the filth. And actually, there's also part, um, I think they do this, and then there's also another Di- Tibetan Buddhist sect that drink from uh, skulls, skull caps. And it has to do with that word there. Um, where is it? Kapalika, Kapalika. Yeah, it's like a capal skull or something. You go look it up. Drink. It, look up the, the Buddhists and the Hindus drink it from the skull caps. We'll drink from a skull too. A a human skull. So all types of filth. For some reason, they're attracted to it. They embrace it. They roll around in the filth. Attraction to filth is a sign of the presence of unclean spirits. Absolutely, 100%. No exaggeration. And I'm not speculating. This is what the Bible says. It shows it. Am I directly connected to the Agori? Yes. Anyone else that's fascinated by this filth and expose themselves to filth? Yes, I'm saying there's influence of evil spirits there. Specifically, the Bible says, interestingly, interestingly enough, think about it, unclean spirits. Unclean. So let's look at an example of that in Mark chapter 5 verse 1. There's a man with unclean spirit. And they came over unto the other side of the sea and into the country of the Gatherings. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, living among the dead bodies. And no man could bind him, no, not with chains, supernatural strength, because that he had often bound with fetters, he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, broke off the chains, And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much, that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there was nigh into the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine, that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave. And the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine. And the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about two thousand, and were choked in the sea. So I want you to take away a few things from this. First of all, the man with legion, thousands of evil spirits in him, was living in the tombs surrounded by dead bodies. He was in hanging out in the graveyard. Like these agoria with the dead bodies. I talked about Lord Worm doing that. Other people hanging out in graveyards. okay, Attracted to death. You know, the Bible says, all they that hate me love death. But not just death. Filth, putrefaction, uncleanness. Attracted to that. He was said to have an unclean spirit. Okay? Specifically says, one, one part it says evil spirits, but first it says unclean spirit. Immediately the unclean spirits went When they were cast out, they went into a herd of unclean animals, pigs, after being cast out of the man by Jesus. Think about that. Unclean spirit gets cast out of this man, and they go into what were uh, treated by the Jews as an unclean animal, the pigs, the swine. Think there's any connection between all these things? Absolutely. And so I want you to see... This connection between people that have, this guy had thousands of evil spirits in him, unclean spirits, and the connection between that and the attraction to where he he was, the dead, the filth, that's from the influence of the evil spirits. Here's another point tied together with this. Often psychotic abusers are either obsessively over-the-top clean or live in filth. It's usually one of those extremes. Okay, one of those extremes. Over the top, obsessive, clean, spotless, every little thing, obsessed with that. Or, like you can't even touch the furniture. Or, live in filth. Just becomes disgusting. There's something spiritually really wrong going on there. Living in filth. You can think about many examples of that, of that happening. Uh, Sometimes over-the-top hoarding gets out of control. And I mean, I don't mean, (laughs) I don't mean a messy house. I mean filth. Sometimes it gets really bad. Uh, Here's another point. Tricksters try to normalize filthiness and mock purity. You see this prominently in the modern art world. Okay? Yeah. You know, go back and watch that show. Like I said, the the role of tricksters, you'll understand that because it's, it's, it's uh, it's a spirit, but it also works through people, especially in the art world, music, entertainment, uh, and movies and stuff. But in the modern art world, they've been doing this for a long time, especially in the 20th century, where they uh, they'll make they'll make something and they say that it's art, an art piece, right? But it's really just filth. Um, and sometimes it's just like they did one where it's just a toilet. Sometimes it's uh, bodily fluids and stuff and they mix it with other things and, and they say, oh, this is my piece of art. And it's trying to normalize filth and degradation and these types of things. So that's another point about that. In contrast to all that, the scriptures tell us to separate from filth and keep ourselves unspotted. Okay, so remember... We're talking about this other extreme where people are like, oh, we can just, no problem, there doesn't need to be a separation from the filth, these professing Christians, and they're wrong. You need to separate from all that filth. Uh, and let's read a couple of scriptures about that. First is in 2 uh, Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness, and what concord hath Christ with Belial? what well, he that believeth with an infidel? And in what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Now, To every professing Christian out there, you got to get this first. This is the New Testament. New Testament. Don't try to tell me that's Old Testament times. This is the New Testament. And in the New Testament, it says, Come out from among them and be separate and touch not the unclean thing. There has to be a separation from the uncleanness and the filth. You have to come out from among them. And if you don't, then you can't be a testimony for Jesus Christ. The only way for you to be a testimony to the filthy world is to come out from among them, to be washed clean, to be made new, and to turn around and talk to them and say, Hey, look at what Jesus did for me. He washed me clean. He brought me out of the filth. He can do the same for you. Not to jump in the filth with them and say, Hey, Jesus loves me and you. Let's roll around in the filth. Testimony destroyed. There is none. In fact, you are dragging the name of Jesus Christ through the mud, causing the word of God to be blasphemed and taking the Lord's name in vain. Here's another one. James chapter 1 verse 27 pure it says pure, right? Pure religion and undefiled before God. And the father is this to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. This is a good summary of this position. Cuz you have these things together where you are taking action, you're going out into the world being around people, here it says fatherless and widows, right? People in need, people that need help, you're visiting them. You engage with people. Especially people in affliction, people that need help, they are hurting. But it also says to keep yourself unspotted from the world. So we can't leave the world, we can't hide away in a bunker somewhere like a coward... We need to engage with the world, but also keep yourself unspotted from it. Don't be, you know, filthy, rolling around in the filth. And I'm going to talk about that in a second, how you keep yourself unspotted and clean. Jesus showed us the example. Let's talk about that. In heaven, Jesus lived in a perfect, I'm sorry, in heaven, Jesus lived in a place of perfect purity. When he was born on earth, Besides the nature of the birth process, Jesus was born in a dirty manger where animals eat. Okay, so imagine that. Jesus is in heaven. The Son of God is in heaven. It is completely clean, perfect, pure. And then he is born in a human body. In the dirty manger where the animals eat. It's not clean. But that's what he did for us out of love. But he had to come into contact with that dirtiness. He got his hands dirty being among sinners, but still maintained separation from sin, did not endorse sin, preached against sin, preached repentance, and also took time away from everyone to pray. Showed that example as well. And let me show you one example of Jesus getting his hands dirty to help people. A good example for us, John chapter 9, verse 1. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither has this man sinned nor his parents. He said, No, you're making an assumption. This guy... It's not because someone sinned that this guy is blind. That's a false assumption that no one should ever make. But that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me. While it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. He got his hands dirty. And he said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. Now you can look at this two ways, because physically he got his hands dirty, made the clay, put it on his eyes of the blind, put it on the eyes of the blind man, and said, Wash it off. He washed, and then he could see it was a miracle. But you see how that is representative of what happens spiritually in salvation. That when we're, we are lost, we are blind. And when you're saved, Jesus Christ washes you, and now you can see. Right? That's, isn't that what they sing in Amazing Grace? I was blind, and now I see. So that's the spiritual application. But I want you to see that Jesus wasn't afraid to get his hands dirty. He went and he dealt with people that had problems. He engaged with the world. He didn't hide away in a monastery somewhere. He didn't act like he was better than everyone. And he wasn't too good to interact with the common man on the street. Got his hands dirty. He never got dirty spiritually from sin. But he got his hands dirty practically to, to help people. We need to get our hands dirty, but also maintain a level of separation and continuously wash with the water of the word and renew our minds of prayer. Okay, so that's the last point we're going to make and wrap it up. Okay, so you need to deal with the world every day. You got to get up every day and go to work. You have to engage with the world. You have to talk to people. You have to be around lost people all the time. Well, in order to keep going and maintain your purity and keep yourself unspotted from the world, you have to continuously wash With the word and with prayer. Let's see what the Bible says about that. Psalm 119. Wherewithal shall the young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. Cleansing with the word of God. You know, another verse talks about washing, uh, about a husband and his wife. Washing her with the water of the word, okay? So the word of God has a cleansing effect. That means you got to read it every day. Read it before you go to work. Read it after you get home, after you've been exposed to the filth in the world. Maybe after you've been out talking to people. Okay? It's, it has a washing effect. And then what about praying? 1 John 1, 6. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie. and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light... We have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. There's the cleansing. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, you know, the Bible tells you to sin not. I write unto you that you sin not, but if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ the righteous, okay? So, the Bible says you strive not to sin. But if you mess up, you make a mistake, and you sin, the first thing you need to do is to confess your sin to God. Pray to God, and it says, He is faithful and just. He will forgive you and cleanse you. You will be washed. So now you're back in fellowship with God. Okay? And so you got to pray. And just pray every day in general. Pray before you go out into the world. Pray later. Pray before bed. And when you, you put these things together, the praying and the reading the Bible, that helps you to keep yourself unspotted from the world. And also making sure you're not partaking of things that you shouldn't be. You know, stay away from things. you got to engage with people, but you can't engage with every activity that lost people want you to do. Oh, come into this bar. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go into the bar. I'm not going to go to the strip club. I'm not going to go into these places that are defiling just by being there. You know, but within reason, you try to go where you can and talk to people as much as you can. You don't hide. Here's one more, second Corinthians chapter seven verse one, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and, and the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. okay, cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, like I said, make sure there's confession to God when you sin, praying, reading the word of God. Separate from these things and uh, cleansing from the filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit. Okay, so be careful too about uh, exposing yourself to false doctrine as well. There's a defiling aspect of that. Okay, a couple more points. Here's a point. You can't harvest fruit without first planting seeds in the dirt. Let me say that again. You can't harvest fruit without first planting seeds in the dirt. Everyone wants to skip to the fruit. Oh, I want to see a fruit of harvest. I want to see souls saved. I want to see fruit. Well, the first step is getting your fingers in that dirt. You're never going to get to the fruit unless you touch the dirt got to get your hands dirty take action got to plow plow up the soil break up your fallow ground sow not among thorns and pray and labor and then and scatter the seed and then one day you may see that fruit but first you got to put that, your fingers in the dirt can't avoid the dirt we also need to be willing to be viewed as the filth of the world, even though our garments are whiter than snow. First is the last verse. First Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13. Being defamed, we entreat, we are made as the filth of the world, and are the off-scouring of all things unto this day. Okay? We are not the filth of the world. Okay? We are washed. If you're saved, you're washed, you're clean made clean by the blood of Jesus Christ but being defamed through defamation through lies we are made as the filth of the world the world views us as filth dirty even though we're spiritually clean and they're actually filthy they're pure in their own eyes but they're not washed from their own filthiness but yet they say we're filthy but we have to be willing to accept that if we're going to stand for the truth of the word of God Jesus said do not be ashamed of me and my words in the midst of this crooked and perverse generation we've got to be willing to be viewed as that the offscouring of all things stuff you scrape off the bottom of your shoe and say I don't care how the world views me I'm going to stand for Jesus Christ and the truth of the word of God and it doesn't matter what anyone says because I know in my heart and based on the promises of the word of God that I am not filthy I am Washed in the blood of the Lamb. I am clean. I am made white. I am pure. Seen seen as pure in the sight of God. Made righteous. And that will help you get through it. Okay, so. That's the end of the teaching. Let me just uh, wrap it up real quick. So. Um, it's important to see. That. These distinctions are made between clean and unclean see that's made all throughout the Bible and it's important to see how this works that when you're saved, when you're lost you're filthy then you get saved, you're cleaned up, you're brought out and seeing that that is part of the testimony and then the proper outreach of not going to the extremes of I'm just going to hide away and I'm better than everyone and not engage with them and the other extreme of no I'm just going to roll around in the filth with them you don't want to do either of that you got to reach out to people, got to engage with people, but also keep yourself inspired from the world, and that's only done by the power of God, and uh, knowing the promises of the Word of God, and you'll be a powerful testimony if you do that. Say, hey, yeah, there's certain things I don't do anymore. They think it's strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot. Okay, some people will, but some people will listen. You say, hey, I don't do those things anymore, and here, let me tell you why. Jesus Christ. And that's the testimony. And uh, so that yeah, that was a that's a course in dirt and, and filth. Um, it's uh, I, I saw that it's something I haven't really heard talked about, so I thought it was necessary. It's obviously, all throughout the Bible. So I hope that was a blessing to you, and uh, thank you for watching and listening. I pray please uh, like, share, subscribe. Check all the links in the description below. Especially subscribe to the Telegram feed; where you get all the updates of. Everything, the videos and audio and PDF documents, news updates, all these other types of things. Subscribe to that. Thank you for all the support and prayers. God bless you. Have a good day.